0: when we are gathered together there's something unique about that this space and this time when we are here that you speak to us in such a way that we hear as a group we hear as a unified group of people so I pray that it's from that space that we would hear you and we would move um, along with you and your will uh, to, to love the people around us and I pray all this in Jesus name amen well we are moving through the book of Ephesians and we're in our fifth week Uh, And when we first sort of thought about going through Ephesians, we felt like it was the Holy Spirit's way of directing us to uh, take a look at and reorient ourselves uh, with our mission statement, which uh, thankfully, at least for me, is our name, Uh, One Life Community Church. And that's our name and our mission statement. There's one life, uh, and we believe that that is found through Jesus Christ. Uh, He's our connection to God the Father. He's our connection to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's the, the, the sort of dynamic, moving agent that moves us into community. Not just community gathered here, but community gathered here to go out. We are rooted and established and loving and caring for uh, this neighborhood, as this is where this church is. But also, as many of us don't live in this neighborhood, we go from here back to our homes, back to our neighborhoods. And the call is to be a blessing in those places. Uh, and then that we are the church. We're the church, and our saying is with the church, nothing more, nothing less. So we are to be about the work of the church, the work of God uh, in in the spaces that we're in. And so as we've come into this series, our goal has been to become rooted and renewed in the mission of the church. What does it mean to live out those three aspects of our name fully and completely? And so far, we've looked at chapters 1 through 3, and in those, we have discovered a ton. And today we're going to shift and we're going to look into chapter 4. And one of the things I want you to know as we head into chapter 4 is that most scholars and theologians and all the the big people uh, that talk about this stuff feel like the book of Ephesians is broken into two sections. 1 through 3 is the first section. 4 through 6 is the second. That 1 through 3 is focused on things like God's calling, what we believe, who we are, and the things that we're supposed to be about. And then chapters 4 through 6 are about how that calling and how those things that we believe get lived out. What are some of the specifics? What are the practical things we do? And what are some of the relationships we often find ourselves in where those things are going to be critical? So 1 through 3 deals with calling and belief, 4 through 6, with behavior and living out that call and that belief. But something has happened. uh, And Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, uh, he says it this way. um, The moment the organic unity of belief and behavior is damaged in any way, We are incapable of living out the full humanity for which we are created. And so this letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote, one of the things it does is it brings those things back together. And so Paul starts off this letter, as we heard in chapter 1, with this really exuberant exploration of what we believe about God. And then like a skillful surgeon who's setting a compound fracture, he sets these beliefs and behavior before God so that he calls them the bones of belief and behavior, that they get knit together and they can heal. And when we look around I think we see that that's something we need because there are fractures everywhere in our families, our work, in our school relationships and even within ourselves. We are fractured. And so Paul goes to work and we see Jesus going to work gathering everything and everyone together, knitting and healing bones, ligaments and joints all to move in growth and health. And this morning we're going to be shifting again and looking at the first 16 verses of chapter 4. They're going to be on the screen behind me. They're also on that half sheet of paper that you found in your bulletin, hopefully, Um, along with a few questions that if you want to look at those now, it's totally fine. We're going to get to them at the end, but it's kind of cool to be able to look at them now and have those bumping around in your head and heart as we go through this. Um, And also, if you have your Bible, you can find uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 in there, hopefully. Uh, So uh, this is Ephesians uh, 4, 1 through 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now... There are three things that I want us to look at today. First is this really intense opening statement that Paul gives here, and then uh, the second and third things they actually kind of combine. And there are these two metaphors, and there's like these two metaphors, almost like a metaphor sandwich, two metaphors, and then a bunch of this glorious stuff in the middle uh, that we're going to explore. And the first one I want to look at is this statement that Paul gives to open up. He says, "As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received." Now, when I first started reading this. I I thought, you know, it would have been enough for Paul just to say, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That would have been big enough. That would have felt epic enough to me to pursue. But Paul adds this extra thing in there when he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you. And there's something different about that because for Paul, at this moment, being in Christ, being in the Lord means that he's in jail, he is a prisoner. And he's a prisoner because he's living a life worthy of the calling he has received. Now, the natural follow-up question to this, at least for me, was, well, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? If this is how far Paul's willing to go, what does that look like in my life? Would I go to prison for this? Is that what I'm being asked to do? Does it look different for us? And so I found Paul opening up this section of this letter with this huge invitation to walk with an open heart, an open mind, and even an open body to wherever God is going to call us. And it's out of that sort of space of this like, oh, God could really call us anywhere. It could be someplace that feels wonderful at times. It could be someplace that feels really absolutely awful at times. It's out of that space that he enters into this first metaphor and that's in that first verse because he uses this word there that we translate worthy but the Greek word is this word axios and Uh, And it translates worthy, so that's fine, but it usually translates with this image or this metaphor attached to it. And that metaphor that is attached to it is uh, like an old balancing scale. So you might have seen this before. It's got a big round plate at the bottom, a center post that stands up, and a cross beam, and then it's got some chains that hold these two trays on it, and you weigh things with it, right? And so say you want a pound of flour, and you have a one-pound... Uh, lead weight you put that one pound lead weight on one side you know and it shifts it this way and then you put some flour on there and it starts to, to to get closer and then you put some more on us too much you take a little off until you reach this point of equilibrium and that's what that word oxios means is that achieved equilibrium now those things are radically different a pound of flour and a pound of lead are really different but there's a balance that gets achieved despite their differences just like a pair of shoes that fits on your feet your shoes and your feet are really different right a wrench that fits a nut or a ring that fits a finger there's a certain fit that happens and I think that one of the problems though is when we start talking about balance I typically don't think of like oh I've got this nice little old antique looking scale and I'm Shifting a little flower off and it's I I think of like standing on a plank that's on top of a barrel And i'm juggling flaming chainsaws or something like that That's what I think about balance when I think about the way we talk about I want to find balance in my life It always feels like this frantic i'm spinning plates and trying to keep them all going not this like process that seems much easier But the way we're going to talk about this today is uh in in the terms of walking I'm talking about walking with God, and that's one of the aspects of finding balance. And I just want to remind you that when you all learned to walk, it was super difficult. You probably don't remember that. Uh, I don't remember when I learned how to walk, but I watched my own kids learn, and it's really difficult. There's numerous falls, uh, numerous wobbles, and you're not doing it quite right, and figuring it out. But now we don't even think about it. We've learned how to do that. And so the hope here is as we talk about balance. I hope it shifts. If you do feel like your life feels frantic like that, I hope that the way we talk about balance today helps that out a little bit. Because in Ephesians, the scale, what it's trying to find is equilibrium between God's calling and our lives, human living. And Paul says, I want to urge you, right? The the urge has this sense of uh, immediacy, has this sense of import to it that says this is not just a suggestion, it's not just a happy thought. This is something almost like begging. I'm imploring you, you have to do this. Live this life that is worthy, that is in balance between the way you live and God's call because when our living and our walking and God's call are in balance then we are living what Paul's going to call maturely, whole living in response to God's call is how we grow, it's healthy, it's full of life the great thing is is that God calls us he doesn't just hand out information or just explain details he doesn't condemn or he doesn't give excuses he simply calls and then we respond we walk We live, we move and breathe in his presence. If we go back uh, in the Bible, in the very beginning in Genesis, uh, we have Adam and Eve, and they are walking with God, and then they get into this spot where they stop walking with God, and that equilibrium between God's call and their walk gets torn apart, and yet God, we find, calls them back and gets them in a space where they can kind of reset, reorient themselves back in a place to find that equilibrium again. Abraham is called to leave his home country and go to a foreign place. And it's that journey, his walk in response to God's call, becomes the context for this dynamic growth that's going to result in Abraham being called the spiritual father of nations. Moses gets called by a burning bush in the desert and he goes and investigates because if a bush calls you out by name you should go investigate that's a good response to that so he goes and investigates and find out that the one who is calling him through there has a name too and so he learns god's name and in that even in that difficult beginning where god's sort of saying i want you to do this and moses saying no you don't want me to do that and god saying, no i do want you Moses like no you don't want me and they keep going back and forth what happens is is that that ability for moses that drive to kind of keep going with god ends up developing into the people of God walking out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea and into freedom. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is visited by an angel and here's this impossible plan of God's that she is going to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. And it's her responsiveness to God that literally brings Jesus into the world. And it also enables her to be faithful to God and Jesus uh, throughout her whole life. Did you know that Mary is the only person recorded in Scripture who we have uh, alive before Jesus, during His birth, through His whole life, His death, His resurrection, and even into the beginning of the church in Acts. Mary is the only one recorded that we have uh, being around like that. And that is her responsiveness her walking with God. Jesus himself calls four disciples by name, and the four become twelve, and they listen, they obey, they walk with him, they disobey, they question, they obey, and they disobey back and forth. And over time, they become more accustomed to Jesus' voice, and he keeps calling and keeps calling and keeps calling, even for them to follow him to the cross, to his death. And even there, they kind of do and don't. And yet Jesus comes back again to them after his resurrection, calling again. And they start walking with him. And that's the group that the Holy Spirit forms into the church. And lastly, this book we're reading, Ephesians, written by this guy named Paul. His name wasn't always Paul. Previously, his name was Saul. And what he was known for was persecuting the church. Going and finding Christians and having them arrested so they could be persecuted and executed. And he would stand around uh, smiling because he was so happy that this was happening. On the way to do this, he's going to look for Christians to have arrested on the road to Damascus, and he's met by the risen Christ. And there, he's called by name, just like Moses. And just like Moses, he learns the name of the one calling, and his own name is changed from Saul to Paul, and all of a sudden, he who once chased and persecuted Jesus now seeks and follows him. This is that, that equilibrium. Right, And this response to God Please don't mistake it for a kind of mechanical Pavlovian response to some stock stimulus Of sit, fetch, and roll over It takes place in this wonderful context And personal relationship with God It's a personally addressed command And an invitation where we hear our own name And respond to it And find the named one who calls us And it calls us into something that has never been done before. Because although lots of people have been called before us, you are the only you. You are the only you right now and in this time. And there's never been someone exactly like you before. And so as God calls us into his movement, into his resurrection life, it is something brand new. Never been done before. And I find that to be quite awesome. When we walk in equilibrium with God's call, we are living a life worthy, worthy of the call we've been given. And we are in the balancing scales and the sensitive and simultaneous touch of God whose name we know and who knows our name. Now, before we get on to the second metaphor which comes up at the end of this section, uh, we, we enter into this kind of middle spot where there's all this fascinating stuff the holy spirit is going to use this section he kind of tries to awaken our imaginations awaken us to an awareness of others on the road with us because it's very easy to just go oh this life with jesus is all about me and god right just me and jesus praying out in the woods or wherever you like to go and pray um and and that's what it's all about but but we're going to find that paul uh empowered by the holy spirit says something about this that's really really different um because there's this group, this diverse and yet simultaneously unified group of people we're going to find on the road with us, and that's the church. And so Paul's going to launch into this middle section, which has to do with how we interact and treat one another as human beings. And he's going to use that to build towards this final metaphor of uh, humanity being uh, this, this body of Christ, like this human body. He's going to start with uh, this section where he quotes this, Uh, From Psalm 68, he quotes this section that talks about, and and this king has ascended. He's returning from a victory with the spoils of that victory, and he's doling them out to his people. And if you go back and read that psalm, it's it's a huge celebration. It's all these mountains, and they're jealous of the mountain that God is making His throne. There's people being saved, and there's this huge victory march, and it is a huge celebration. And Paul anchors this reality of Jesus calling his people together, calling all humanity to himself, giving them gifts. He anchors it to this reality that Jesus descended to earth, conquered death, and then ascended above everything. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that celebratory ascension, the king, Jesus, is entering and distributing the spoils of that victory to everyone, to his people, to all who follow him. And the gifts that he gives are these actions and ministries. Now, I've got to tell you, when I read this first section, and I'm like, yeah, Paul's in prison. He's asking me to live a life worthy of the, the calling I've given, and maybe that could take me to prison or whatever. I'm, th- I'm thinking about, I'm going to stand in the face of evil, and I'm going to just be strong. and. Jesus and I are going to crush evil Like he and I together are going to drop this big elbow On evil and we're going to stop And it's going to be awesome We're going to be standing there in glory and light and smoke and stuff And so I'm ready, I'm like okay Give me the secret to stand in the face of evil To crush and conquer things And what the Holy Spirit Says through Paul is this Here's the big secret Be completely humble And gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Really? Is that the thing? Did I read that right? Did I... Is that the thing? Is that what it's supposed to look like for us to live this life that is worthy of the calling? It's not to, like, get on TV and be huge and big and famous, or it's not to... Humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. These are like things my mom tried to get me to do as a kid. How is this the big deal? It goes on to say that there are some sort of offices that jesus has given this office of apostle this office of prophet evangelist pastors and teachers and that all of those are given to equip the people of god for works of service so that the body of christ can be built up and i want to be really clear about this idea of building up because there's two ways it can be looked at one you can sort of build up like if you have a building that already exists you can kind of shore it up right you can strengthen what already exists um and you know, maybe there's a big storm coming, and you want to kind of shore up this fence or your building or whatever to make sure it doesn't fall in the storm. And that's uh, there's this movie called The Secret of the Kells. It's a beautifully animated movie. Uh, and in there, there's this Irish monastery, and they've been hearing about the Viking barbarians that are coming in and... They're going to different monasteries, and they're taking all their stuff, and they're taking a bunch of people. They don't usually wipe them out because they want them to grow up against, so they can go back and steal more stuff. Uh, but this one monastery, it's one of the biggest ones, and the head abbot says what we've got to do is we've got to build a huge wall around the monastery to protect ourselves uh, from this. And at one point, this quote is this head abbot says, and those barbarians and outsiders will know the strength of our faith by the strength of our walls. So that's one idea of building up. That's one idea of what that looks like. But what's being talked about here is actually really different because um, what's being talked about here is a building that is not finished. There's a building that is in process, right? And so now all of a sudden it shifts because if it's something that already exists, then a lot of the work of going out and getting materials, the things that are going to build that building is done, right? But this building, this body of Christ is made up of people, And so the idea that we're somehow done gathering people, we're somehow done loving people, we're somehow done caring for people is not true because there are tons of people that still don't know God, that still have not been loved or cared for. There's people in our neighborhoods, people at our kids' schools, in our classes, on our sports team, on the playground, in the grocery store, you name it. But all of these gifts were given to make sure that we were being equipped to do acts of service for one reason to love and the church is going to grow not necessarily just in numbers or in money or anything like that but in love it says it's going to be built up in love so you have this great image of the victorious Jesus descending descending into war he descends into sin he lives our life and dies our death and then the process is reversed and Jesus is raised from the dead and we get to live his resurrection Jesus is raised by God not only from the dead but to a place above all other things above all powers principalities rulers nations or any name that's ever been spoken or ever will be spoken and in this victory ascension he distributes these gifts patience gentle peace. So the call for us is to walk in those. To walk with Jesus as He gives gifts to build His body. And we're supposed to be doing this walking, this living out with each other, with all of humanity until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let me read that one more time, just so we're clear. We do this with each other with humanity until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of god and become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of christ so hearing that is there anyone here who thinks you've arrived there good okay first service i said i'm not even going to look up uh but no because the the reality is, is we know we're not perfect Right? We know we haven't reached full maturity And we know there's more work to do And so my question is, is Why are there times where we seem like we've stopped We've stopped caring We've stopped loving This whole middle section That Paul gets into is full of unity And all this maturing stuff Is supposed to happen with each other In the context of community It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. It's unity, unity, unity. One, 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 one. That's why it's absolutely important that we don't stop gathering. We don't stop meeting. Okay, and I want to do a little exercise, and I want you to understand, first of all, that I am absolutely in no way trying to make anyone feel guilty, including myself. Okay? so But I want you to, to kind of play along with me here. I want you to imagine that I ask all of us to stand up, and then I say, and if you have missed church for whatever reason, good, maybe you don't think it's a good reason, doesn't matter. For whatever reason, you've missed church in the last month. And I think what we would find, and again, not to inspire guilt, but to just kind of see a reality, is that there wouldn't be very many people standing. And we understand things are going to happen. We have vacations we get to go on and some we need to go on. We have kids who have soccer games. We have all kinds of life stuff that happens. But what I also read in this passage is that Paul is saying it is absolutely critical that we be together Eugene Peterson, in in one of his books, he talks about, I wish that there were places we could worship that were only filled with the people we didn't like. I was like, why would you ever wish that? That sounds horrible. But he's like, no, that's what we need. That's what's good for us. That's what helps us grow. We need to be together. Paul is saying, in order to mature, we need to be interacting with one another. So it doesn't mean it has to be on Sunday. And I think anyone who tells you you're less of a Christian or that somehow you're not a Christian because you're not at church every week, every Sunday, they got other issues that need to be talked about. But there is an importance in being gathered together with people in ways that you're interacting with them. You're sharing lives. You're talking about things. You're praying together. You're working on projects. You're doing something. You're interacting with people because it's hard for me to be patient with someone who I don't know or ever see. It's hard for me to be gentle with someone that I don't ever talk to. Paul ends this whole thing by saying that once we do this, once we we reach this point, we're not going to be thrown around by evil in the world, by false teaching, by scheming and deceit. I think even just as important that when we do encounter those things, we won't retaliate in kind. Instead, having been transformed by the love of God, as we've walked with Him in our calling, we will speak the truth in love. And we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. So that second metaphor is that body image where the, we are the body of Christ and Jesus is the head. And what we find is the whole body is sustained and kept and healed together and knit together by Jesus and grows and builds itself up in love. But there's this key line at the end of it that says it all happens as each part does its work. And again, every single one of us has a part. We are all critical to what God is doing in the world and what God is doing in the neighborhood, what God is doing in our families, what God is doing in our workplace. We all have a part. When I was uh, doing campus ministry at the University of Washington, we had this event that was simply called the WWFDD. Now, um, <clears throat> it was really this—it was a dinner party, so we called it the WWFDD dinner party. And I was really the only one in my staff who knew what that meant, uh, which was kind of fantastic. But um, so we had a bunch of people show up, and what it was is it was the Worldwide Food Distribution Dinner Party. And so what we did is we had there were about fifty people there. Um, And in my dining room we have a big table And uh, we had food for about 50 on this table Just piled up high, covered it And we told four people This is where you sit, this is your food And they were like, game on, this is awesome and then we took another eight or ten people and we put them in our dining room and there's this little pocket door that slides in between and closed it off. And we put them in the, dining, or in the, the living room and they had, uh, there was a big bowl of rice and another bowl of broccoli and some water but they had their own bowls and plates and silverware and cups. Then we took the rest of the people, a much larger group, and put them on my front porch and they had one big bowl of kind of gritty, dirty rice no cups, no silverware, no bowls, and a big pitcher of muddy water. And said, this is the way food is distributed throughout the world. A small group has a lot, middle group it's a little bit bigger, has less, and then there's a big group who has hardly any. And so we just let them go, right? And the people on the front porch were like, this is the worst dinner party I've ever been to, <laughs> right? We're all having to share out of this one bowl. And no one's washed their hands. Can't even get to the house to wash their hands. This is gross. All this kind of stuff. The people in the middle were like, yeah, this is a pretty bad dinner party, but they could see out into the front porch, and they were like, at least we have our own plates and stuff. The people who were in the at the big spread were living it up. This is awesome. We have all this food. And they kind of knew what was going on, but they couldn't see them. And the whole thing, there was this moment where, in, in putting it together, we had this idea like, we want to see if anyone like invites other people into their space, right? Um... And so what we found was the middle group who could see out onto the front porch and could see people out there miserable, and some people who didn't know what was going on were like, and they they were thinking about leaving, right? They were kind of new to our group, and they weren't, you know, we didn't explain what was happening because we wanted to have a big reveal at the end. Realized later that might not help everyone understand, and they might not stay. Uh, So they might just show up and go, you're lame friends is what you are. Um, But uh, so... The middle group saw that and they were like, "Wow, can we invite them in?" And so someone came and asked me. I was like, "Absolutely, right?" And then that group was like, "This isn't a ton better, but I have my own plate and my own silverware. This is a lot better, right?" And we had left. We tried to leave the the little sliding door in between the living room and dining room opened a little bit because the the group in the at the big table needed a little bit of help because uh, they were they were living large a little too much um, and. But once they heard that the middle group had invited the other group in, they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should probably do that too, right? <laughs> That'd be a great idea, right? And so it wasn't because they had great compassion. It was because this is the right thing to do, right? And what I think about when I think about unity and sort of this extension of God's love and God's care for us to all people, right? It, it makes me think of that night where people, some people saw a need. Some people were like, mm, the need's there. I kind of don't want to do it, but it is the right thing. And so there's this process of inviting everyone in. And what we ended up with was 50 people crammed into my living room and dining room, door full open, people laughing, having lots of food. It was a big party. it's a big celebration, right? And that's what it's supposed to be like. Okay, we're supposed to invite people in. We're supposed to be loving and caring for them and then just celebrating together. And even in that, each person had a part. Someone had to see out on the front porch, and maybe a bunch of people saw, but someone had to finally say, yeah, can we invite them in? And then someone had to come and talk to me, right? Maybe I looked like I was busy. I might have been running around getting food ready, and someone has to come up, and some people are like, I don't want to bother them, and some people are like, I don't care if I bother them, right? That's their gift, right? And then someone had to go actually tell those people, hey, you guys get to come in, right? And then they all had to go, "Woohoo!" and come in. And then someone in the big room had to go, well, I heard they invited everyone in. What should we do? And then someone had to say, well, we should invite them in. Let's get chairs. Let's make room, right? Everyone has a part. Because it says, unless we are each doing our part, then we're not doing what we're able to do. God is all about building. And not just shoring up, but building his church. And the challenge is, is that there are, People who are missing in two ways. Again, it is imperative that as much as possible, we are gathering together in some way where we're sharing life. Okay, where we're you know we're bumping shoulders, whether it be on ministry team or in core group, or uh, meet someone for lunch, wherever. But as long as you're meeting and that's happening, this happens to be a really good place because it's where most of us gather. Um, so so there is a certain importance to that. But I don't want to link it just to that. Um, but the other thing is that there are a lot of people who are not here because we haven't invited them. There are a lot of people in our neighborhoods, a lot of people in our families, lots of people who we haven't extended care to them or haven't loved them. And I don't want to downplay it. I know there are some of you who are and are doing a fantastic job at it. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge that our greatest outreach tool right now are our sandwich boards and our website. We've had more people show up new at this church over the entire time we've been here due to our sandwich boards and our websites than the amount of people inviting people. I think that says something. Doesn't mean those things are bad. I think it means that we need to get moving a little bit. This book of Ephesians, we're entering into this practical section. The first section is, again, about belief and about calling, and then we move into sort of the practical. How does that get lived out? It starts on a general level, and then in chapter 5, And six, it's going to get really specific. It's going to talk about marriages, work relationships, relationships, and family with kids. Um, But to start with, I want us to see that in order to grow into maturity, we need to, first of all, just be around other people. And as we grow into maturity, we're going to become more about the work that God has for us, which is loving, caring for, going out, ministering to the people around us. And as we grow, we're going to learn more about how we can participate in doing that. And I want to let you know, if you're wondering what your part is, maybe you're like, ah, I'd be interested in figuring out how does that work. What is my part? Uh, Martha Wood, our Director of Spiritual Formation, is really gifted in helping people walk through that process. And so if you would like to talk to her, is Martha still here? She was here earlier. Okay. If you want to talk to her, you can write that on your connection card, or you can just find her. She would absolutely love to talk to you about that. Uh, if I can invite the worship team up, there's a few questions that I want to uh, to get at uh, and, and have you think through. And you can either write the answers to these on your uh, connection card, and we'd love to have you hear those responses. You can put them in the wood boxes. It doesn't have to be just to these questions. could be about anything in the service, but if you want to respond to these questions there, you can. You can also write it on your own note sheet just to have with you. But the first question is, what feelings do the words balance and equilibrium stir up in you? Right? Some people, when I talk to them, it's like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this balance. They're like, ugh, oh, balance. I don't hear about balance anymore. It's impossible to achieve. Uh, so, so what does that stir up for you? Uh, second, is there a balance or equilibrium between God's call and your walk with God? Now, you might not even know what God's call is. So you might be like, I don't know. But, but whatever you sense there, like, do you have this sense that what God's called you to, even it could be these ideas of maintaining the unity of peace, being gentle and being patient, um, being uh, having a sense of humility. Maybe it's just those things. You're like, no, yeah, I'm doing good in those. I really sense that. Or maybe I really struggle. Um, the third one is, do you see equilibrium or balance between God's call and our walk with God as a church? Right? What do you see us doing to live those things out fully uh, and, and live out the calling that we have, that mission that we have? And then lastly, uh, how are you currently connected with the church in a way that allows you to interact with other people? And I'm aware right now that one of you at least is going to interact with me in a minute about my inability to type or spell. Uh, So that's fantastic. But that's one of your gifts, right? That's one of your roles. That's one of your part is to come up and say, Greg, I love you like crazy, but you've got to figure out how to spell short four-letter words that everyone knows. Uh, So uh, with that, let me pray, and then we'll sing one more song to close. Heavenly Father, I give you great thanks, Uh, God, that you give us this gift of being together god and in that space of being together we learn about your call we learn what it looks like to walk with you that we have all these examples throughout scripture that we can see that we talked about whether it be moses or mary or the disciples right all these people who we see and they they walked with you responded to your call i pray we would do the same and that as we do that together we would grow God, that we would grow in love, that we would grow in our ability to love one another, to love outside of these, uh, outside of this building. Um, Please help us, God. God, we really need that. And I pray that we would see you honored and glorified as we do that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.